I love the way the First Gen Lounge makes me feel. Because it creates a space where I belong, where we're able to create community. The fact that it's a community. It's a safe place. It also gives me a place to understand different perspectives. The stories of these individuals prescribe transformational perspective. I receive encouragement, enlightenment, empowerment. And also serve as a catalyst to just keep going. Where we're able to be our true selves. I'm allowed to be an unapologetic first gen. And above all else, tell our story. And every episode is unique. I love it. I'm your host, Dr. Eve, and I'd like to welcome you to the First Gen Lounge. Well, good people, good people. So glad to have you here as always. You know, one thing that I can say I love about the First Gen Lounge is that we can look forward to coming together just like we did back in the day, right? In undergrad, come together, sit and talk for a little bit about, again, just all things life and what's happening with us and how we're moving forward. And I'm really grateful to have someone who I just think is, she's bought. Like, I, I know I say everybody's like, you know, they're, everybody who comes on the show is just really amazing. But Kimberly in particular, she's just really got this personality and this wisdom that I think I've even been drawn from lately. And she's, man, she's got, she's got an awesome, awesome, like, background too. So I'm going to shut up and get out the way <laughs> and say, hello, Kimberly. How are you? Hello, Dr. Eve. I'm doing well. How are you? Wonderful. I am wonderful. And, and I say it's exciting because you are a veteran and, talking to you and not even trying to be funny like somebody sees your picture and is like hey type this person i would never think veteran was a part of your history (laughs) um so i think that's one of the things cool you just never know right but you will just tell everyone who you are and what it is that you do well i am a mom i have two sons um they are 20 and 30 years old and i am as you said a veteran of the united states i served in the marine corps reserve my reserve unit was activated for Desert Storm, so I am a, a war veteran. Mm-hmm. My medals and ribbons include the National Defense Service Medal, the Sea Service Deployment Ribbon, the Selected Marine Corps Reserve Medal, and the Southwest Asia Service Medal with one star. I'm a professional who works at a global law firm. I worked my way up from part-time night receptionist to managing the paralegal program globally. I love to travel. I love to spend time with my adult children. I love to go to live shows. I live near New York City. I work in New York City. So going to Broadway shows is a lot of fun. And my sisters and some friends and I have done that quite a bit in the past. So I love doing that. And I also love hanging out with my extended family. So that's just a a little bit about me. You have how many medals? <laughs> you you've done what you've done. Well, I'm like, oh my goodness, wow! See, I didn't get that part last time. I'm that is thank you for your service, and like you said, your unit was actually activated. So yes. to have lived through that and to still just be where you are to come back to the states to move forward, like I said, to start as a you were what again as assistant? I started out as the part time night receptionist. Part-time, part-time night receptionist to being on the global leadership team now. Exactly. Mm, that's the story for you. Exactly. So that's really interesting. What was it, you know, just being curious, I know there are some veterans who listen to the show and I've had two others on who are veterans as well, but what was it that made you even want to go to school even with you being in the service? Well, when I was in high school, it was the Marine Corps recruiter that came to my high school to administer the ASVAB test, which is the interest exam for the military. And I took the test shamefully to get out of class. I had not planned to join the military at all. And it it took three hours. So it got me out of a few classes that morning. 
And then a few days later, <laughs> that was clever. I said, actually, that was, that was actually clever. <laughs> a few days later, he called me and told me that I scored very well on the test. And, you know, would I be interested? And my father had served in the army. My sister, who was a year and a half older than me, had also already joined the army. So I talked to him and said, you know, why not? I was not settled on whether or not I was going to go to college yet. So I said, why not? This is a way to do something after high school, get paid for it. And I can join the reserves and that way I'm not fully committed, but committed enough. So that's what I did. And I joined in August, right after I graduated high school, turned 18 in basic training, and then learned how to drive five ton trucks. And I was in the motor transport battalion for my reserve unit. I was the only female in that battalion. Um, Hmm. So it was like having... I don't know, 50 or 60 big brothers when we were activated. I was the only female in my truck company and they Mm. all looked out for me. I could not go anywhere by myself ever. (laughs) What are big brothers for? To protect. Right, (laughs) right. I mean, with that, but that's really good to know that. And I say that to just from the outside, I know there are often some stories and, and, and things that come out that are negative about female serving and then thinking about how many things have changed over the years. Though so the fact that you had that protection and you had a great experience is, you know, really, really good thing, especially before the time where we've had all these laws and things put in place to protect women. So I, I really, really love to hear that. Very cool. So thinking about your transition to college, what was that like for you saying that you did go into the service first? That was that was a little bit tough because when I was 19, I found out I was pregnant with my oldest, which was not planned. And I decided I would go ahead and have the child. And I did. And I'm absolutely overjoyed that I did. And so I had to put school on hold for a while. And then finally, when I was able to, I went back to school. He was about four or five years old when I started to go to school full time. It took me a little over 15 years to finally get my bachelor's degree because I could, you know, raising a child as a single mom, I could only go to school one class at a time. So it took mm-hmm. quite a while, but I was determined to do it. At one point, he and I were both in college at the same time. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you finished first? I did. <laughs> <laughs> I finished, got you, dude. <laughs> uh-huh. I finished just two years before he did. So, you know, it was it was really interesting to have that experience. And then right after I got my bachelor's degree, I immediately signed up to get a master's degree and I did that 100% online. And then I figured, you know, this is it. I'm done with school. In the meantime, I had another child. And in 99, I started working at my current job and decided, you know, I'm, I'm moving up. I got my job as the part-time night receptionist. My younger son was just one month old. And I knew that if I could get into the company, I could maneuver my way around and move up. Mm. So that's what I did. And, you know, I was still going to school at the time, working as a paralegal and then transitioned into my current role, which is on the global leadership team, running, managing the program. And a colleague said to me, you know, it might be interesting and helpful for you to get an executive MBA, which might help in your current role. And I said, well, I don't even know what that is. I had no business experience. My entire experience, professional experience is in the legal field. Hmm. And I said, I don't know what that is. And so she did some research for me. 
And the next morning we were at a meeting in Los Angeles. The next morning she said, here, I did some research. Here's some information. Just, you know, just take a look at it and, and see if it's something you're interested in. So I did. And I decided, you know what? This really might help my career. So I applied to Pepperdine University to their executive MBA program. In October, I got accepted, started classes in January of 2018. And I needed two letters of recommendation. And I sent requests to three people that I work with at the firm. And they were way more supportive than I could have ever imagined. And so for 19 months, I went to school part-time, got my MBA and worked full-time, including all the traveling. And that's where I am now. It was it was tough. It was a journey, but I did it. Yes, you did. And I commend you for that because you had two children along the way. Yes. And, you know, in my experience as growing up, it's not easy taking care of kids at all. <laughs> And then, you know, um, I, mean, I don't have children yet, but my mom, I know we were a handful for her and she had three of us. And to think of all the things and the dreams that some people miss because they don't, one, believe in themselves to be able to do stuff or know how to figure it out, especially when they're raising a family. And so for you to have been able to, you know, charter that path and to be the example even for your children, I commend you for. Thank you. And I, yeah, you're very welcome because I know it's hard. It's, it's completely hard. You took a nighttime reception shop yeah. and even that to be tired to come home, to have to give them the day and do things over again. Like I look back and I'm like, my mom was, is definitely my shero because working three jobs and taking care of three kids, I don't know how she did it. <laughs> I still say, Mom, I don't know how you did it. And, but somehow she managed because she understood that giving us the best life she could was important. So thank you for what you've done, you know, as a mother, as a black woman and, you know, and, and somebody who's had a dream and pursued it regardless. Um, it's a lesson to be learned there, folks. See, you know, don't ever think things aren't possible because if you believe in something, you'll absolutely get to it. Absolutely. You said something earlier about looking at the executive MBA program and deciding that it was something that would help your career. And something that I really like about a conversation we had before this interview is thinking about how we as first-gen professionals go about finding resources and information to be successful. To somebody who's just coming into their career, so a recent undergraduate student who's starting out, what advice would you give to them about setting themselves up for success and taking opportunities to learn and again, finding resources and information for them to thrive as, as new professionals? I would say that they should leverage their resources. They need to figure out what it is they want and, and they have to be able to follow their passion because that's the only way they're going to be successful. And find others who are already successful in that field. Whether it's someone that they know personally or someone that they don't know who may be a public figure, do some research on that person and find out what they did to, to get to where they are. And also find find people who they do know personally or at a workplace, a teacher, a professor or someone and say, this is what I want to do. Can you help me? You have to ask the questions. You have to speak up and advocate for yourself because no one knows what you want except you and everyone is busy trying to push themselves ahead or maybe not and you know they have no desire to move forward so they're they won't be helpful to you at all you have to be able to have that that inner 
motivation and that inner drive to say, I want something and I know I can get it. I just need to figure out how. So you have to do the research. You have to read books. You have to read articles. You have to listen to podcasts. You have to follow public figures and find out what they did to become successful. If they wrote a book, get their book and read that book. You have to pick out the pieces that work for you because everyone's path is different, but there are some similarities along the way that you can learn from and pull from. You know, that's that's what I did. I knew that there was something more. I knew that there was always something better that I could do. I just needed to figure out how. And I talked to people and got in touch with people who were already successful and who were more knowledgeable than I was and talked to them and found out what did you do? How do I do that? Where did you find that information? How can I find that information? And once you start searching, you you start to go down a path and you find out more information along the way. Even as you're looking for one piece, you might find three other pieces that will be helpful to you. And even if they're not helpful to you now, kind of save them and put them onto the side because they, they'll be helpful to you in the future and you may not realize it yet. So that's what I would say to someone who's just starting out and who may not know exactly what to do. You just have to ask the questions and you you have to. And it's really hard, I understand, for people who are shy and who are not extroverts and who are not very naturally social. It's tough and it can be stressful to go up to someone you don't know and ask them, you know, what could seem to be a personal question about their professional journey. But that's the only way you're going to be able to get on your own journey. Hmm. I'm digging all of that. And one of my favorite parts is listen to podcasts. <laughs> you know, like, you know, develop, like, yeah, you're right. Uh, but this is something like, so seriously, podcasts are one of the fastest growing mediums in yep. the world. And what people don't realize, as you said, study people. If you follow, like I said, certain public figures and know that they've done interviews and shows, there's so many things you can learn from them, so many nuggets you can gather and never have ever talked to them. And so, like I said, reading their books, or their audiobooks, listen to their audiobooks, like consuming the content. So you're very right. And one of the best ways that I've learned to actually get to know people is listening to their shows and following up with them after the show and saying, hey, I listened to your show like this thing. You'd be surprised by how many people are willing to have a conversation because you've invested in what they've had to say. Exactly. So, you know, the same thing with the books and the articles. And that's, you know, one of one of my tactics for, for networking. And speaking of which, I know that you said being able to connect with other people as well. Would you have any advice for first gens who are needing to network, but don't even have an idea of what networking looks like? Like, how can they do that? Especially when like, they're shy or just starting out or sometimes even feel like an imposter. Right. Yeah. Imposter syndrome is is rampant within the first gen group. I would say go on to Evite or check out local events in your town and see what's going on. Go to the local library. Check out bookstores. A, a lot of times bookstores have events that they and they have newsletters that you can sign up for to get email notifications about events that are going on and people who are coming into their store. I live in New Jersey in a, in a town in northern New Jersey, and one of the local bookstores here had Hillary Clinton come in. They also had Malcolm Gladwell come in. So, you know, a lot of it also depends on where you live and, you know, what your surrounding towns are. If you live near a, a big city, sign up for those notifications to see what's happening in those big cities. Sign up for the arts 
notifications and, and those kinds of things, because that's where you'll get your information. And they do have mixers and things like that for singles. And a lot of things that are popping up now around the country are first-gen professional and first-gen student mixers and networking events, where people who have been in the professional world can give advice to first-gens who are just starting out because you may not know what to do or what to say if you're invited to a dinner party by a professional or supervisor at your job. You know, what do you wear? What do you say? Which fork do I use? Which spoon do I use? What do I do if someone offers me a glass of wine, but I don't drink wine? How do I respectfully turn it down? You know, those are not things that first gens are aware of most of the time because those are not things that they've been exposed to or that their families have been exposed to. So they're entering a world in a lot of different ways with a lot of firsts. Mm -hmm. One thing that I shared with people at my job is the first time I sat in first class, I didn't know where the tray table was. Mm. And I had to wait and I was waiting to look for someone else to pull the tray table out so I could look to pull a tray table out because as a grown adult, I felt embarrassed to ask, where's the tray table? Mm. But, you know, had I asked, I'm sure the flight attendant would have showed me with no question. But, you know, you still get that that feeling that these are things that I should know. Mm. What I'm loving most about what you're saying is you feel like you're supposed to know. Yeah. But if you've never been taught, if you've never been exposed, how 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 can you know? So right. the fact that you allowed yourself grace to not know, but mm-hmm. then your tactic for figuring it out. So rather than having to say, hey, where is this at? That you just observed other people. Yeah. And you figured it out. And that's powerful because we don't always have to be so forward. And I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Sometimes it's just watching and paying attention. Like even the, the dinner table thing, like to the etiquette with eating. Yes. One of the things that I was taught is if you ever go somewhere, so it's just what you just said, if you ever go somewhere in any environment and you don't know what to do, stand back and watch other people and then you'll figure out what to do. Right. And I'm like, so, you know, introducing yourself. So, hey, let me ask you about this as well. When you talk about going to networking events and meeting people, what advice would you have to give to us about approaching people and introducing yourself? Because I know that's something that some of us as first gen struggle with too. Like, what do I say and how do I say it in a way that doesn't make me look, for lack of better words, doesn't make me look dumb? Because that's what I've heard people say. I look yep. so dumb when I walk mm-hmm. up to somebody. How can I avoid that if I am new and even doing a company social and wanting to get to know my peers? Well, I would do a little bit of research before the event and find out the audience, find out you know what kind of audience is going to be there. And then once you get there, you look around and find someone who looks approachable because not everyone does. And my mother has told me in the past that I don't always look approachable. I'm more of an introvert kind of person. And I would sit back in the corner and observe the room. But if someone did approach me and start a conversation, I'd openly talk to them. I'm just not the one who would start the conversation. So I know what that stress is like to have to go somewhere and you're by yourself And you don't know where to start or who to talk to, because like you said, what's going to come out of my mouth and will they think I'm stupid? Will they think I don't know what I'm saying or will they think I belong here in the first place? So I would do a little bit of research about the event in the beginning before I even get there. That way you can have some things in mind to discuss once you're there. I think that's really good advice to ask them to discuss once you're there. And would you advise us to have two or three things in mind to just be able to talk about when it comes to ourselves or our work or what would you advise in in terms of talking points to just have 
um, in our brains that are ready for our conversation. So beyond things to talk about, what would you, how many things should we think about? Just again, having our back pocket for different people that we may meet. That's the best way I can make to frame that question. I would say two or three things is good because other people may also have two or three things that they're bringing to the table. So that gives you enough topics to discuss as you walk around the room. I would make sure that I had factual information about the company I'm representing, Mm -hmm. about the school that I just graduated from or am attending. And again, just some information about general information about the event itself and why I decided to come to the event. What am I looking to get out of the event? And what do I feel like I'm bringing to the event? I think those are good topics to have in the back of your mind and at the ready, because those are things that they're factual and they're also personal. So it gives you a sense of comfort to be able to talk about them. It's not something that you have to guess or something that you may not know about. If someone brings up a topic that you're not familiar with, you can just, you know, ask questions that kind of let them know that I'm not familiar with this topic, but I'm interested in learning and people just want to be heard. So if you behave and your body language is such that you you seem interested and you ask questions such as, oh, wow, that's very interesting. Can you tell me more? That really invites people to continue discussing and that takes the burden off you and it gives you a little bit of information that you didn't have before you got there. Mm-hmm. I think that's really good advice. And I hope that you all really took that in. You don't have to show up and know it all. Right. right. <laughs> you know, no you one don't have does. to be everything. Exactly. Exactly. But that's also part of the networking, right? To me, I see networking is filling the gaps. Yes. So when I think about meeting people and making connections, there's always someone who knows something that I don't know and they're more expert in certain things. And because I am I am whole as a person, like as a being, but I recognize that I'm stronger with a team. And so people who come into my life who are financial experts or professional development experts or personal development experts, people who just have an expertise, leadership of things, I know that from them, I can continue to grow and they are part of what continues to help me be a better person. The reason why we specialize, right? Right. In our industry, because we can't be all things. Right. Like there's no way I'm going to tell you I know how to invest because I don't know it and I don't believe or trust myself enough to go into an app and just start spending money. I'm going to hire somebody else to do that because I don't want to be looking like, oh, I made a bad decision on that. I can take the And that's also I can take the time to learn. But if somebody else is passionate about it, why not support that person's dream? Right. Um, And why not take, you know, that as an opportunity to take some time, like we'll save some time, actually. And people don't realize letting other people do things that is not your strength or your passion saves you time and energy. Exactly. That otherwise, it's not a bad thing to try to figure things out for yourself, but it can be that you may spend two or three weeks working on something to know about it, to be an expert, but it takes you away from your, your true gift. And so just being mindful of that. Yeah, but interesting. So something that we talked about a little bit, you know, in our conversation prior was thinking about how things have changed recently with what's happening with this yes. global global series of events. I keep trying not to say what is called the, the dirty word that I, I call the dirty word, the C word. It's, it's dirty right now. And I think just because I'm I'm hearing it and seeing it so much that it's becoming exhausting. Yes. But we can't avoid the conversations around it. And, you know, now is a great time to even think about all of these beautiful and talented, just totally incredible people who are getting these degrees really soon and, you know, will be off into the world of professionalism. And then they're walking into a workforce that experiencing a crisis. How would you advise 
these individuals, be it their undergraduates or graduates, to think about how they approach uncertain times in professional settings. Because there are even some times that businesses, major businesses, are not sure about what things are going to look like for them as a whole based on things that are external that are happening. So with your experience, what can you share with us about just navigating or thinking about how we approach this uncertainty, how we show up and still be professional in spite of this new virtual world that we're in? Just a few of those things that are in mind that, you know, I think it's important that we address. I think one of the things that we should always do is to remain professional no matter what, because you never know who's watching. And people who are just entering the workforce can also keep in mind or should keep in mind that this is not the norm. This Mm. is a temporary state of chaos, I would describe it as, because no one was prepared for this. No one. Mm. So everyone is still, even after a few weeks in, People are still trying to figure this out and to figure out how to continue business and how to continue living and how to adjust to what has become our temporary state around the globe. You know, people in Asia, although they dealt with this first, they're gearing up for a second wave and Mm. they are still wearing masks when they go out. They're still under a, you know, less than five people directive so that they can curb the spread of this disease. So I would say, you know, be patient and just understand that everyone is still trying to figure this out and that things will settle down. It may take a few months, in my opinion, but Once things settle down, then things will probably get back to more of a normal state. I think there will be a new normal, Mm -hmm. but it won't be this, you know. So, I I mean, I guess my best advice is to be patient and, you know, be understanding as well. Because those people who have been in the workforce, who have lived through going from paper to electronic, who have lived through going into the office every day to working remotely, sometimes to now being forced to work remotely all the time. Mm. They have experience with these kinds of changes. This is a new kind of change. So we're still trying to figure this one out. But we've been around long enough to know that this too shall pass. And everyone can just, you know, kind of be patient with everyone else. Know that people are trying. Well, most people are trying. Some people just are not listening to the social distancing rules. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But most people are trying. And things will get better. I'm curious to know. Um, and you just said a few things that made me say, huh, I wonder, like in my head. And this is what <laughs> I love about having these very natural conversations. Like, you know, it's things things just really do come up. But you said that things will go back to some kind of normalcy, but not what it is. And that's the truth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what then, you know, if you had a, a vision or a thought, what do you think our new normal is going to look like after this? Because in my head, especially somebody who speaks and is always traveling, you know, similar to you with your work, you're always traveling, always on the plane. I'm thinking, man, you know, I know September 11th was one of our last big, yeah. really big events that changed how we travel, how we interact. Do you have, you know, just any thoughts on what, what is going to happen for us, like I said, in our new normal state after this and how we travel and, and again, interact, how we eat, just how we live? I think this whole situation in a very short period of time has revealed a lot about the state of our economy and the state of our mm. resilience in the world. 
Mm. I think people will begin to see that you can use technology for good, Mm -hmm. that this world truly is globally connected. And I think with respect to travel, it's going to be very different with making sure things are clean, making sure things are sanitized, making sure that there's enough space for people. Because once people start to travel and they're able to come out of their homes and and move around more freely, the crowds are going to come back. Hmm. So people really have to adjust. You know, companies will have to adjust to that and make sure that people feel safe because although the crowds are going to come back, people are still going to be a little bit leery about being too close to someone else and crowding in an elevator and probably driving more than they take public transportation because being in your own car by yourself is safer health-wise than being on a crowded train. Mm-hmm. So there's going to have to be a lot of changes that will be forced by the general public because there are things that people will just not accept anymore. Mm. I agree with that. And something that I've been thinking a lot about is the availability of face masks. Yes. And how now I'm almost expecting, like I said, trains, buses, planes, these these places period to have at our disposable face masks Mm -hmm. and I was thinking about how sometimes I watch television because I have yet to go to Asia I watch television and I may watch something on YouTube so these are very honest shots of these like wherever the person is and let's say if I see someone doing a interview of a person on the street in in China I've noticed in some cases and even in states like New York is one of the places I've noticed too that people will be wearing face masks Yes. And I used to think to myself, why they have on this face mask? And I'm not going to just ask this random player, why are you wearing that? Because people have their reasons. But again, I've always thought for them to keep their cold and, you know, away from other people. And now I'm realizing, holy crap, it's because of also what they recognize that they're being exposed to every time they step outside of their house. Right. And I was talking to another friend recently and I was telling my husband, like, I talked to this person, we were talking about bringing shoes in the house. And how some cultures, you just do not bring your shoes in the house. You leave them at the door. And I can never understand it either because as somebody who just grew up, just walk in the house. Don't worry about your (laughs) shoes. Not thinking about how much nastiness. Like we won't pick up a piece of gum off of the ground and put it back in our mouths. Right? Right. So the idea of bringing your shoes into the house and tracking and walking around and getting all the the nastiness from the outside. I was like, holy crap. So our floors are horrible. Hmm. A lot of us, but just not realizing it. And, you know, again, the conversation with my husband was talking about, you know, the dog and the dog goes outside, but he's in the grass and he's a dog. So he's actually, to me, in a lot of cases, cleaner than some humans mm-hmm. who walk around all day, touching other people, touching doors. He'll, he goes in the grass and he comes back to the house. Right. So, but, you know, but of course, whatever is, you know, in the grass he may bring inside, but it's just really a, a interesting perspective that you say, even in wanting to travel and taking cars. So will there be a demand for cars now or will there be a demand for people to get licenses. And so just, yeah, thank you for sharing that though. And it's interesting to think of how we travel and and things we do because travel is a really big part of your job and of mine. And I'm pretty sure for a lot of first gens who are going into corporate positions that require some level of travel, these things are going to have to think about as well and how to adjust when things, because like this, this is a really big change for us. And a lot of people are having to learn how to use the virtual space to to their advantage. And they don't want to. Some people just don't want to. But it's like, it's a part of your job and you got to do it. And this is also a skill building time. So you'll adjust and you'll figure it out and kind of keep it moving. Yeah. 
So on a lighter note, because we, we are having a heavy conversation, <laughs> but it's good that we talk about these things because I know that there are a lot of curiosities. And again, we're just at a time where it's graduation season and the next yes. step is going into the real world. And the real world, I don't mean to be insensitive when I say this because I know this is a sensitive time, but the real world is filled with many ups and downs. And this is life and having to figure it out. And even now, systems in higher education, because of what's happening to the world itself, we can't even depend on being at school as a safe place anymore. Right. Not because of the threat of like um, harm necessarily, although kind of technically it is, but because it's safer to be at home than at school, even if it were safer to be at school in a way, you know? Right. So thinking about how now, where before some people could just say, well, I'll just live in a residence hall and eat from the cafeteria for a lot of people. Now that's not even an option. And so just thinking about being in adulthood, what it means to sustain your household, mm-hmm. your home itself, your apartment, getting your food, having to figure these things out and still show up for your job. So I'm feeling so passionate about what we're talking about today. <laughs> I, look, I don't mean to take every interview. I'm sorry. Let me move to the next questions. So just um, thinking so on, a, on a lighter note, you are again, a very well-developed person. And I say that because I know that you talk about the reading and the articles and stuff. So is there anything that you're reading that you think we should know about that we need to add to our bookshelves? Well, there are three books that I've read recently. I actually listened to them on audiobook. Um, when I, I lived in LA for a little over two years and you know, the traffic out there is crazy, to say the least. <laughs> the least. <laughs> so to help with my commute to and from work, I listened to audiobooks. And one of them that I listened to was Becoming by Michelle Obama. Hmm. So I would listen to that on my morning and evening commute to and from work. What made it even more intriguing was that it was narrated by Michelle Obama herself. So it was oh, wow. her voice. Yeah. And she also came from a regular family with humble beginnings. She had absolute support from home. And that's what helped her realize her potential and to give her the confidence to really push herself to take advantage of every single opportunity that came her way. And she had a lot. And it really made me realize that so many people get so many opportunities that they don't take advantage of. And listening to her book, she took advantage of every single one of them. And that's why she is as successful as she is. Um, she did not allow the world to dictate what her future would be. She did that for herself. With the support of her older brother and her parents and her extended family, she had the confidence to stand up as a Black woman and say, I don't care what you think of me. I know what I'm capable of and mm. I will be successful. So that that was very empowering. And to listen to her experiences throughout her marriage with Barack Obama and his political career and how she stood by his side and everything that they experienced, the ups and downs. It was just fascinating the things that they went through and how they came out of the other side, basically unscathed. It was really, really something. Another book that I would definitely recommend, especially for first-gen professionals and students, is a book called Educated by Tara Westbrook. She had a very non-traditional upbringing, had to make some very hard choices in her life, and it cost her her family. Hmm. She was brought up in a very Mormon family who did not believe in formal education. They educated everyone at home. So the first time she stepped into a classroom, she was 17 years old. Hmm. They lived off the land. She had, I want to say, five or six siblings 
And her and two of her siblings went on to each get PhDs and the others did not. And once they made those decisions to go and get formally educated, her family turned their backs on her. She goes into great detail about this in her book. And she just had to make some very hard choices. And she had to leave them behind in order to pursue her own dreams. Mm. And it was tough for her, but it was a battle within herself. You know, do I pursue my dreams and follow my passion or do I do what my family wants me to do? You know, so it was either lose herself or lose her family. And she chose to lose her family. So that that was hard. I listened to that also on audio. That was that was a hard one to listen to, but it resonated because she overcame every obstacle that was put in front of her. She didn't have the kinds of opportunities or wasn't given the kinds of opportunities that Michelle Obama had in experience. She was given more obstacles than anything else. And she overcame every single one of them and succeeded. Mm-hmm. She was actually recently interviewed by um, Oprah on Oprah's podcast. Very interesting interview. Mm. And the third book that I read recently is um, Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. I actually had to read that one for one of my MBA classes. And it was such an easy read. He's he's such an easy author to follow. And it just, the book is full of what may seem like coincidences, but they all add up to life-changing events. My favorite chapter in that book is called 10,000 Hours. And it really just goes into how you really have to put the work in to get to the point where you can perform a task with your eyes closed. It does not happen overnight. It takes a lot of repetition and a lot of practice to make it seem easy and seamless. I recently read something. I don't remember if it was an article or just a quote, but it said something like, you don't pay me because I can get this job done in 30 minutes. You pay me because it took me 10 years to learn how to get it done in 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's basically what this chapter in this book is talking about. Like you have to put in the work and it takes a long time, but it's worth it. Absolutely. So I would definitely recommend those three books to any first gen. Gotta put those on my list. Well, at least two of them. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, let me check those out. Go on. Like I, I enjoy, you know, reading in downtime and this is a great time to, yeah. I said, just, to develop oneself and a strong component of personal development. So whatever you can get your hands on to better your life, absolutely do it. So um, we've gotten to the end and I'm going to ask you my infamous favorite last question. You ready for it? I'm ready. <laughs> All right. What is the one thought, the one thing that you would like to leave us with to carry with us for the rest of our lives? That you are not your circumstances. You are not your past. You are who you decide you want to be. You are in charge of your own destiny. Some people may not understand your journey or your passion, and that's okay. You have to go ahead and pursue your dreams anyway. Push forward anyway. Take that class anyway. Go on that trip anyway. You don't owe anyone an explanation for wanting more. Just go get it. Mm. I like that a whole, whole lot. A whole lot. I've really enjoyed this conversation. You know, if I could talk to you for an hour more, I would. But uh, we're not going to wear them out. We're just going to bring you back. We're going to do that. We're going to bring you back. But you know, Kimberly, thank you so much for, for your time, for your, again, for, you know, just being present with us in this moment and helping us to know that in spite of, you know, we just will, will keep going and making the most of everything. So, you know, the good people definitely will be able to find you because if you look at the session notes, her information will be there. If you want to tell us, you know, what it is out loud, let us know where to find you on an internet space. Well, I am Kim Barrett on Facebook. I also am Angel03. It's A-N-J-L-03 on Instagram. And that 
handle actually came out of my cousin is a breast cancer survivor and she Ooh. has a a nonprofit organization called Angie's Angels. And um, we all got license plates on our cars that say Angel. Hers is Angel 01 and then her friend is Angel 02 and I was Angel 03. And oh, you can that only is really get, cool. Yeah, and then my sister is Angel 04. Like we all kind of went up the line. You can only get a certain number of characters, obviously, on your license plate. So we decided to spell it A and J L. So that's where that handle came from. Huh, very cool. Because I did look at that and I was like, that's different from her name. There's yep. got to be a story there. That's really cool. So y'all go check that out as well and learn more about that. Like, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. Well, like, sure. Kimberly, not going to hold you any longer. Wishing you well in all that lies ahead. And just, you know, thank you for again for being here with us and, you know, know that we've always got your back. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. You're so very welcome. Awesome. <laughs>